You are listening to Work Human Radio, pioneered by Globoforce, bringing more humanity to today's workplaces. You are enjoying our special edition coverage recorded live from Phoenix, Arizona, and Work Human 17. And now, here are today's hosts. All right, good afternoon and welcome back to Work Human Radio. I am your host, Todd Schnick, joined by my friend and colleague, Rayanne Thorne. Boy, you and I need to spend a we lot more time <laughs> with this next guest. We Frankly, do. the entire business world needs to spend more time Absolutely. with this guy. I am so thankful that all of these conversations are re- being recorded because I'm going to refer back to them, especially this one, often. Yeah, I, 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 this, this whole idea, the whole purpose of what we're here is to help promote and, and push this idea of work human and bringing humanity to the workplace. Right. I'm not sure. There's We've talked about a lot of amazing ideas and strategies and tactics and, sure. and, and tools and methodologies to bring humanity to work. But I think what we're about to talk about is, I think, mission critical in terms of helping us slow down, Center. focus, get in the moment. Right. I mean, and I, don't, I think... Part of what I want to ask this guy is, is I think most people in business are afraid of doing that and don't think it has a place in business. Mm. And I think we're going to prove them wrong. I hope let's, so. Let's get to this conversation. We're joined now by Pundit Dasa, better known as the Urban Monk. Pundit, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Oh. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's our pleasure. Uh, you are the founder of Conscious Living. So before we get into what I think is a very critical conversation, take a minute. Tell us a bit about you, your background, and what Conscious Living is all about. Okay. Well, since you said um, I'm also known as the Urban Monk, why the Urban Monk? Because I spent 15 years of my life living as a monk in a small village called the East Village which happens to be in New York City, so not such a small so, village. Uh, wait, I'm like, wait, that's not small. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Um, but I lived right on the Lower East Side. Right next to us is a tattoo shop, and the whole block is surrounded by bars and restaurants a and nightclubs. A lot of diversity right there. A lot of diversity. <laughs> you can do pretty much anything. You can feel spiritual, come into a monastery, and then go right next door and get a tattoo, and then there you go. do whatever you want. So I lived on the Lower East Side as a monk for 15 years, and the way I became a monk was, in, in, you know, in a nutshell, was my parents had a really successful multi-million dollar jewelry business in L.A. And at some point in the early 90s, we lost it all because our business caught on fire. Wow. And after that, we ended up moving to post-communist Bulgaria in the early 90s for a couple of years where Whoa. nobody spoke English. Yes, fasten your seatbelt. I should have gave you that warning. Yes, you should have. <laughs> yes, sorry, I didn't do that. And spent two years living in post-communist Bulgaria, again, where nobody speaks English and there's nothing on TV that's not in... Russian or Bulgarian, and uh, there's every every kind of entertainment that I was used to was gone. So wow. spent two years doing business there, moved to back to the U.S. to the East Coast to New Jersey. Tried my hand at a few different things, and then finally decided to go to a monastery in India for a month. Loved it so much. Spent six months there, then came back to the East Coast, moved into a monastery in Manhattan. Thought I'd be there for a few months. Ended up spending fourteen and a half years there, and hence I had a fifteen-year you know, journey wow. as a, as a monk in New York City. So for those of us who don't know me, pointing <laughs> fingers at me, that don't know what that means to, to be a monk, give us what, the, what, are, what is the job description of a monk? Well, the job de- description is as follows. Uh, you wake up early in the morning. You, you're, one of your qualifications is that you should be able to meditate for about two hours a day. And you should be able to wake up. You have to be a morning person. That means you have... You know, you're, you have to be up by 4, 4.30, get ready, and uh, start meditating by about 5. The other qualification for being a monk is that it's a life of simplicity, somewhat poverty, meaning you don't own a lot of stuff. Right. 
um, and you live a life of service. So you serve each other and you serve the community. So as an urban monk, I was doing a lot of work and service at Columbia University, New York University. I was working with students to teach them meditation, to teach them vegetarian cooking, to teach them how to live in a more balanced way, to live a more stress-free lifestyle, to keep a sort of a uh, school life balance. Uh, and that was what I was doing. So it's a life of service, meditation, introspection, and uh, just kind of reaching out to the community in general and serving. One of our very human traits is selfishness. Yeah. And it sounds like that's a released trait when you become a monk. So how do you, is it, is it that self-focus, that centering that helps you let go of the selfishness? That, that is innate as a human being because we need to eat, we need to survive, right? And part of that is being selfish. So how do you let go of that and really follow this life of service? Well, you know, it's never easy to part with selfishness because right. right from kids, we grab things and we cry sure. if someone else has something we don't have, right? It comes, we come out of the womb and we're already grabbing things, right. you know? Um, so that's something that it's not like just because I moved into a monastery, it's gone. It's something you work on every single day, selfishness, greed, and, you know, envying others' possessions and sure. feeling pride. Uh, because I, you know, maybe I did something better than others, and feeling like myself, I'm better. So, getting, working on removing these things is sort of the task at hand when you're a monk. Uh, me, and I mean, this is the task at hand for everyone. It should be, right. in one sense. Um, so, but really, this is, becomes our focus to somehow or other distance ourselves from our egos, recognize we have an ego, and understand that I don't want to react to things because of my ego. I want to respond to things in a calm and focused and present and a compassionate manner. So it's a work in progress right. that you work on on a, on a regular basis. It's, re it's really interesting, Todd, that we, we do this whole full circle thing of talking about ego. Here we are coming back mm -hmm. and, and talking about ego. And I know that Todd has done a lot of work becoming a minimalist in his own life. So um, I, this has got to be a fascinating conversation for you. It's, well, it's fascinating. And I, and I, boy, I have a million questions that I could <laughs> ask you. I mean, well, but I want to keep this on, on task for, for the audience that's listening to this. They're saying, well, this gentleman was, a, was in a monastery and was a monk for 14 plus years. Why are you on the show? I mean, that, the work that you do now is you go into corporate environments and yeah. you teach a mindfulness and a meditative practice. Yeah. What does that mean? So, so help us understand exactly what you do now. So I did uh, transition out of the monastery at the end of 2014. So it has been two and a half years since I've moved out of the monastery. I got married last year. Wow. So all these transitions have taken big transitions. I know I big didn't expect to become a monk and then I didn't expect to get married. So all kinds of unexpected things are happening in life. And they're all really great. <laughs> yep. They're all really great. You learn so much from them. So, but because I have such an extensive meditation practice, I had it and I still maintain my you know daily two-hour meditation practice. Um, and as I was transitioning out of the monastery, mindfulness was starting to boom. Meditation was starting mm -hmm. to take off like yoga did a decade ago. And here I was kind of trying to figure out what I'm going to do now, uh, now that I'm not a monk anymore. I'm like, oh, well, look at this research. Oh, everyone's meditating. Oh, great. Okay. And I started getting some invitations from friends who were working in corporations and referrals of people saying, hey, you got to invite this person. And all of a sudden, I found myself lecturing in corporations on stress management a more secular approach to meditation and mindfulness and and actually uh, work human uh, the, the work human conference was the first conference uh, that I lectured at about three years three ago. years ago yeah right. it was the first HR conference that I lectured at three years ago so um, so basically now 
I utilize everything that I've learned and practice and continue to practice, combine that with all the incredible research that's out there on the benefits of mindfulness, such as reducing stress, re reducing anxiety and depression, improving focus, improving, uh, creating a better harmonious relationship amongst colleagues. So I'm taking my own practice combined with this research and talking to corporate folks and college students and sometimes even government agencies. So, uh, so that's what I'm trying to do now. Outstanding. Well, I can boldly declare that every person in business would benefit from a mindfulness mm -hmm. and meditative practice. I, can, I feel that to my core. Yeah. And I would agree 100%. <laughs> Most people don't. So how do you deal with the skeptics who say, look, I don't have time to put on Yanni and get a yoga man and burn some incense <laughs> and, and hold them, you know, they, they, I don't have time for that. I'm a, yeah. I'm a hard driven business person. Yeah. That's not for me. How do you respond to that kind of uh, pushback? Well, first of all, um, you know, I tell them that you don't have to light an incense. You don't need a yoga mat as long as you have a chair available and you can just plop your butt down on something. Just go ahead and meditate. You don't have to light incense. You don't have to do all of those things that you've seen in Hollywood movies. Sure. You don't have to be a monk. You don't have to shave your head. You don't have to live in a forest or a mountain <laughs> or a cave. No. You can do it at your, in your fancy condo. You can do it at work, at a in, a, in your office, in your conference table. You can do it in your car. Just, you know, do it as and when you can. And you can just do it for five minutes. And then, of course, bringing the research is what helps to alleviate the concerns people might have that it's something spiritual, it's something, whatever, hippie-ish or... No, so the research helps, um, and then I try to simplify it and make it really accessible and comfortable. Again, taking away the restrictions. I'm like, if you want to sit on a chair, you can. They're like, when, what's the best time to meditate? I'm like, what time do you have to meditate? Okay, that's the best time to meditate. So I try to remove as many obstacles as possible. So people are like, oh, almost they have no excuse. Like, oh, yep. like five minutes? You, can't, you don't have five minutes? Really, you don't have five minutes? Mm -hmm. There's no way and nobody, everybody, has, everybody has five minutes for sure. You know, so I try to basically remove all their obstacles that they put up, and then they find out that I th and with the research, and they realize for their own health and sanity, for long-term sanity, uh, they need to do it. And then ultimately, you know, it's their call. You know, but I my goal is to combine the research and make it really, really accessible. Do it how and whenever you can and want to, but just do it on a regular basis. So how do you do it? Because I think part of the panic that people feel is I don't know how to do it. I'm not, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to expect. Mm. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel. So for someone who's listening, who, who I think they say, boy, I, I, I think I get, I'm intrigued by the power of this thing, and I'm mm. hearing more and more people talking about it, but I don't know, I don't know how to start. I don't know how to yeah. do it. How, can, you, can you give us a very simple one, two, three steps of how to, quote, meditate? Okay. First of all, I tell people, don't go into it with any expectations. I don't have any expectations that, oh, I'm going to feel light and feel like I'm going to be levitating afterwards. No, scrap that, you know, get rid of that because that may not happen. It's probably not going to, especially now that you said that it, you think it's going to happen, it's definitely <laughs> not going to happen. So few things, sit down in a comfortable place where there's not too much noise and not too many distractions. Put your phone on airplane mode for a little bit. Or put it into another room. That's a starting point. And you put your feet flat on the floor, close your eyes and just become aware, aware of your body's weight on the chair. Just present right here mm. feeling your feet on the floor leaning your feeling yourself leaning back into the chair i am here right now in this chair nothing else and once you've done that start to take a few deep breaths and when i say deep breaths i want people to breathe in such a way that their lungs are, lungs are filled with breath and their lungs are fully expanded because we take very shallow breaths 
And we so do. really just like the kind of breath we don't take, so take like five or ten of those. Energize your body and mind. Your bo our body's like deprived of oxygen, it seems like, most of the time. And that's why we're so tired and fatigued and tense. Because as soon as you start doing this deep breathing, you realize your body's releasing tension as you breathe out. And so I said, take a f five or ten deep breaths and then just take a moment to analyze which parts of your body might have tension. Just go from your head and, you know, and your face and take a deep breath in. And as you exhale, release the tension from your face, release the tension from your neck. With each exhalation, release the tension from your shoulders, your chest, your stomach, your legs, your arms. Just do that. That'll take like five, seven minutes. I just did it just now, listening to you, listening well, to you say There you go. Say it. But Pundit, <laughs> what happens is I get all these random thoughts in my head. What do I do well, there? <laughs> well, if you have a mind, then you're going to have thoughts, right? If you have I a two-year-old, then don't expect you to sit and meditate, you know? Expect right. them to run around and do whatever a two-year-old does. So if you're, if, you're, if you're not having those thoughts, then you don't need to be sitting here with me. But if the fact that your mind is having random thoughts, that's why we're meditating. So that's a normal huh. response of meditation, it, you know, is that first you get, uh, become aware. Because most of the day, most of our life, we're not aware how many thoughts we have. According to psychology today, an average person has between 25,000 and 50,000 thoughts every single day. We're not aware of that. That's one to 2,000 thoughts every single hour. Wow. By meditating, you realize, oh... I started planning my lunch. Oh, I started planning my dinner. And from there, I started planning my travel back home. And then I started planning my laundry. And then I started planning what emails I have to send. And boom, you just went off. Boom, boom, boom. And now you realize, oh, I've traveled off somewhere. Let me get back on this flight. Not on that flight. Let me come back here. And then more and more, we bring our mind back. You're learning that practice of bringing practice, your mind back, that, yeah. that practice of focus. And it's also like doing push-ups for your mind then. Sure. It, you know? and, and we forget that. We forget that you have to exercise and practice and, and learn how to focus. It's yep. not something that's just innate for us, especially if we're, we have any kind of ADD no. or we're excited about life or work. Yeah, 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 right? exactly. Mm -hmm. So talk about the benefit in the workplace. Why? Okay, why should a leadership team, why should... Uh, an owner of an organization start encouraging this with their people? What's the benefit to the organization? Well, there's multiple benefits. Uh, I mean, it's one of the simplest and easiest ways to reduce stress. And stress is costing American businesses, according to the American Institute of Stress, it's costing American businesses about $300 billion a year. Wow. Just from coming from employee turnover and absenteeism, legal medical insurance costs. So it's such a simple, you don't have to buy machinery, you don't have to like, create a gym space, you, know, you don't have to buy machinery and all this stuff. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to buy special like uniforms or clothing. You're like, okay, you're in a suit, fine. Just go sit down and meditate. Close <laughs> it's your eyes. really that simple. Yeah. Um, so why wouldn't a company want to bring this in when there's no cost really involved? I mean, maybe you bring in a meditation teacher, instructor, but that's not going to be so bad. But so, you know, everybody needs to have their workplace a little less stressed because if people are less stressed, then they'll be most, more focused and they'll be happier. And if, otherwise, if they're stressed for too long, they're going to leave. And plus, what mindfulness does is helps us recognize when our ego's becoming inflamed and how we're going to maybe react to another individual because of our ego, maybe because we think we don't like them or we think they don't like us, whatever our mind makes us believe. So mindfulness helps us take a step back and say, is, maybe that's not true. Maybe there's nothing wrong between us. Maybe I misunderstood that the fact that they just didn't look at me the other day and I just maybe, maybe blew it out of proportion. So mindfulness also helps us Put that aside, that thought. So, okay, maybe that's not true. Let me just uh, swipe that window out of my phone. <laughs> just kind of swipe that out. Okay, let me start fresh. I love fresh. that analogy. Yeah. So, you know, and, and so 
I think we can all use more cooperation in the workplace. And so mindfulness, since you like that analogy, is I kind of compare it to a smart device and that when you don't close out all the unnecessary apps that are you're open. You're draining. Yeah, you're draining the phone. You're draining your mind yeah. because we have so many apps open. And some of the apps may be conflicts that I had with somebody in the last meeting and that's still with me, that tension. Not All I can do is think negatively about this person. But mindfulness helps us realize well, maybe I did something. Maybe it's not such a big deal. Maybe I should just go and approach this person and put this thing wow. to rest. So what company wouldn't benefit from it uh, and why wouldn't they want to bring it in? It, it so, totally it bewilders me, but I think people are still learning about it. Sure. And so as the knowledge and information gets out there a little bit more, I think it'll be easier for people to bring that in. They'll see the v- importance of it. Yeah. Two things I counsel business people to do is simplify mm-hmm. and slow down. Now, most business leaders would say, slow down. Everything I think I believe about business is it should be going faster. Yeah. Talk about the power of slowing down. Well, you know, when we're moving too fast, we're going to miss a lot of stuff. Like if, like imagine like driving. It's, it's really beautiful, but you're driving really fast. You're missing a lot of stuff. So you're missing a lot of beautiful details. And so that's the thing. When you're moving too quickly, we're missing things. If we're running too, if you're moving too quickly, if someone's having a conversation with us and we're already trying to go to the next thing, we're missing that conversation. And there might be some very valuable and pertinent details in that conversation that I might have missed. And you miss one important communication like that, it could be disastrous. It could cost you a lot of money. So slowing down doesn't mean reducing profits. <laughs> it just means that recognizing I can't really multitask the way I think I can. And multitasking in that capacity is going to make me miss out on specific details. So slowing down is not reducing profit. It just means taking the time to really hear what other people are saying, what other people are doing. And if something goes wrong in a company, not being too quick to blame everyone else, thinking like, what did I do? Maybe maybe I contributed to this as the leader. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's not everyone else's. So that is slowing down. If you're not slowing down, you're like, oh my God, I've got to fire all these people. They're useless, you know? Right doesn't do anything. So slowing down means being more aware, more conscious, and that, I think, will lead to more productivity. Can, can you really focus and see when you're going that fast? Well, the point is to take time out during the day to slow down. Right. The point is to slow down. Like, well, imagine if you're just like always driving your car pedal to the metal. Right. Is that car going to really last you as long as no. it should? No. no. You're just burning it out. Right. And what's happening to our mind and body when we do that? We're burning out our mind. We're burning out our body. So the thing is, we do want to slow down for our own health, our own physical health, our own mental health, sure. and our own emotional health, and our relationships. We need to slow down. We don't want to be going 100 miles an hour. We think that's cool. It sounds cool. It sounds like you're productive. But basically, you know you're going to burn out much faster than most other people will. Right. And then probably we'll have burnt out most of our relationships in that time. <laughs> and then when you get to the top, as they say, it's lonely at the top. It's very Cause, lonely. Because you know what they say. They say if, if, you know, people are encouraged, you need to meditate for one hour a day. And the person says, I don't have time for an hour. And the guy says, yeah, well, then you're right. You should buy meditate for two hours a day. Because yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> demonstrates that you've de- you got too much going you on in your head and you need on. to slow down. Yeah. One of the things you talked about when you were in the monastery and as a monk was this life of service. Yeah. And things we've talked about a lot in this work-human conversation is empathy and gratitude and, and all yeah. this. And, but, and, of course, a very common, another buzz, the topic that is a servant leadership. And, and I don't think you can be 
full of gratitude and act that way in the workplace. I don't think you can be empathetic and all those different kinds of words. Uh, and certainly you can't be a servant leader if you don't embody these ideas of mindfulness and, mm -hmm. and, and all that. Talk about that a little bit and, and how this idea of everything we've talked about today, how that does make you uh, more of a servant leader. Well, one, one of the things um, that I, I talk about when I speak about mindful leadership is the idea of leading by example and leading with humility. Now, humility is not a sign of weakness. It doesn't mean you can't get things done. Uh, there's a nice uh, quote from Forbes that says, a humble leader is able to see their own shortcomings and weaknesses and is, and is secure enough to ask for help. Right? So that is an important component of um, leadership and mindful leadership is having the humility to recognize what are my strengths, what are my weaknesses, and being able to ask for help. So, and, th and when we do that, and also mindful leadership means regularly asking ourselves a question, am I leading to be served or am I leading to serve? Mm. Like really questioning our own motivation. Am I, am, I, am I in this leadership role so that I can enjoy the power and the fame and the control? Is that why I'm here? Or am I here to really facilitate others and help others grow? And that requires a, a deep level of honesty, which first of all, we need to develop because we might be like, yeah, I'm here to help others, but deep down inside, we're just enjoying the spotlight. So it's a real honest question that has to go really deeply, deep within ourselves to find the answer, like what is my real motivation for leading? And that's part of mindful leadership. And when we realize that, then we can actually become a servant leader. It's amazing what we can learn. Well, do you see where, how that begins to impact and make a, an a work environment more human Absolutely. And, and more and full of humanity? Because when, when, th that's the fundamental question of a leader yeah. is, are my here to be served or am I to serve? And, and how many leadership books and business books say, your job as a leader is to empower your people and remove the roadblocks so they can do their job? Well, that's what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. and, but the, the modern business person, that's not the mindset. They think they have to be this driven leader in, in, in bark orders, right? Yeah, and get things done at whatever cost at whatever cost and whatever happens to the people is not important because they're getting their paycheck the goal needs to be met but that's that you're going to just leave you know burn out a whole bunch of people that way sure so that's not working human you know mm -hmm. absolutely well pundit as you could probably understand I could talk to you for another several hours <laughs> yeah. with some of these things uh, uh, some critical stuff we talked about today and really grateful for your time and, and like you Ryan, I'm probably going to listen to this a couple of times Yes. because yes. uh, I have paid close attention to these ideas for many years I and I have learned have. an awful lot just from listening you've to you've been my teacher on this so it's, it's nice to see you learn well and that's the beauty <laughs> of these conversations so Pundit sure. before we let you go should anyone uh, want to dive into this a little bit more with you and better understand some of these things and figure out how they can integrate them and these ideas into their environment, how can they contact you and learn more? So my website is punditdasa.com. That's P-A-N-D-I-T-D-A-S-A.com. Or you can also just Google me, Punditdasa. Um, you can find me on Google. And my website has a list of different workshops that I offer in companies such as Mindful Leadership, Stress Management for Work-Life Balance, uh, Unlocking the Power of the Mind, and a lot of different workshops. And, you know, there's sample speeches on my website. So people can just go to my website, and you can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter as well. So, um, so I'm available. You can find me very easily. All right. Pundit Dasa, the urban monk and founder of Conscious Living. Really a pleasure to have you. Thanks so Thank much for so stopping much, by. Thank you so much, guys. I really had a great time. It's great. Thanks. So did we. All right. All the time we have for now, Todd and Rayanne signing off from Phoenix. 
We'll see you again very soon on Work Human Radio. Work Human Radio is brought to you by Globoforce, pioneers of the work human movement. Globoforce helps make work more human for millions of people and organizations worldwide. Learn more by visiting Globoforce.com and join the work human movement by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and the Work Human Community Forum on LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening to Work Human Radio.